no matter what you see on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, is you get told no a lot. You get told no a lot. And that's one thing that I was talking with our friend Kelly Cardenas about was that, you know, I've, I've learned to be able to accept no as an answer, not as an emotion. I think we have a bad habit of that in the world today. We see yes as an affirmation and no as an emotion. And I've just learned to, to overcome the challenge of using no as an emotion. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. You're in for a treat today, ladies and gentlemen. Tony Torres is in with me today from down in Greenville, South Carolina. How are you? How are things, sir? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be here. It's a blessing to be here with you today. Hope all's well with you. So for those of you who aren't watching on YouTube, we do have a YouTube channel. I know most of you listen, but Tony's got a very interesting logo behind him. So give me a little bit about the logo, man. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my wife and I, we are the founders of Core 13 Capital. And what we do is that we seek to use commercial real estate as an avenue. So First Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter in the Bible, is that everything that we do is on mission to spread the gospel. So 30% of all of the income that comes into Core 13 will be deployed to biblical missions around the world here in the States, partnering with churches and local communities to, to just help make an impact and use commercial real estate to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. 30% is a very large number for all intents and purposes. So I want to go yeah. there. The ability yeah. to live on 70% of your income, where did yeah. you learn that discipline? Well, there was a real struggle because I don't come from, you know, a lot of money. So you learn to budget really, really well. You learn to be smart with your finances and you start realizing exactly what you need to live on and how much money you spend that you really didn't need to spend on stuff that you really didn't need at all. So it's not from a scarcity mindset. It's just, I looked, kind of looked around me and I started seeing things that I would buy and then either underutilize or just wouldn't use at all. So I started thinking about, you know, how does God bless in ways that make a huge impact. And it's when we make the stretch, you know, when you, you do something that really, you feel the pain of it, you feel the pull of it. That's when he does some of his greatest work. So if we're going to take 30% of the money that comes into our company and go have an immense impact. Just imagine what God will do with that. And that's just kind of how we look at it. Plus commercial real estate is some of the largest cash flowing assets in the world. So if we operate it the right way and take care of our investors, we're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that God will be able to bless within those opportunities as well. So we just believe in making a stretch for impact. How did you get into commercial real estate? Really by chance. I was in college. I was going to be working in healthcare finance. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go make an impact on pediatric cancer. My best friend passed away when I was 12 of leukemia. And I saw the financial burden that his family went through. And I, I just wanted to have a place in that to make a difference. So when the pandemic came down, I started seeing real changes in the landscape. And I started getting my eyes open to what, what that looked like from a financial perspective. And I really just 
started being pushed away from it because I just saw a lot of money being kind of utilized there or as the incentive. And I saw a lot of people's families hurt. So I decided that I would kind of look into real estate. I took three real estate classes in college. Um, I really enjoyed it. I wanted to go into the residential side. I wanted to be owned like 20 single family homes in 20 different cities. And I realized pretty quickly that that's unscalable from a management standpoint, from a rehab standpoint. It's, it's really tough to do that. So I was on LinkedIn one day and I saw a friend of mine closed on 160 unit in Greenville, Texas. And I immediately reached out to him and I said, man, I need to know how you did this, what you're doing, because I know how much money you don't make. So I needed to kind of understand like that entire process. And he was really gracious with me to, to spend about an hour or two on the phone with me, just kind of giving me the high level, giving me ways to, to educate myself, books to read. And then I just dove into it, moved to Florida, was going to try to do some stuff down there in the heat of the 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 boom of commercial real estate and the real estate market overall. And that I, I, I learned a lot, but also learned how to be able to accept the word no uh, and when it's not right for you. So from there, I've really just expanded my palette. And now I do multifamily, build to rent and golf courses. So it's it's kind of my, my three, my tripod there that I, I truly love. Yeah, I'm just intrigued on this golf course thing because I've only heard people talk about multifamily here lately. Yeah. Um, you can own a golf course? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can own, yeah, that's 300 acres of land that you're just cash flowing. So it's it's pretty, it, it has a small business play to it. In a way, similar to self-storage. Um, the lending is can be similar. Um, it's just going to be off the land itself. But uh, it's it's a really unique business. And we have an amazing team that's got 30 years experience behind the owning and managing golf courses that, that I'm a part of and I'm blessed to be a part of. So yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So what's your role if you're a partner with a team with that much yeah. experience? Yeah, so my role is, is, is I come at everything. Now, Jerome, you know this about me. I come at everything from a blessing standpoint. You know, I really, I just kind of put it out there that I wanted to learn how to own a golf course. I really saw the multifamily world just becoming so saturated when I was living in Florida. Every single person I ran into was a multifamily investor, multifamily syndicator, everyone was. And it didn't drive me away, obviously, but I was like, I wonder what else I could do that no one else is doing. So I reached out to a couple of people that I know that own or have had experience within managing golf courses or being directors or superintendents of golf courses. And I asked them, I just wanted to get a, a feel around the expenses. So I, I had a connection that really, he introduced me to somebody that he used to work with at Disney. They have four golf courses down there. One of them used to host the PGA Tour tournament there. And he connected me. And since that point, my partner and I, he has really taken me under his wing to teach me the business and do it all for the sake because he knows I have a passion for the game. So he's, he just helps me learn it. And we found one and he said, all right, Tony, we're going into business on this. So I, I've been on the acquisition side. I've been on the capital raising side, the education to investor side. And it's really just, he, he takes the reins and expects me to follow along and learn and drive the ship when it's my turn to drive the ship. But that's really how we've handled it. It's just been a blessing. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so you're, you're kind of in the apprentice role, I guess would yeah. be a way of characterizing it. You could, you could call it that. I am the, the second majority owner of a, in an apprentice role. Yeah, you could call it that. So that's what it'll look like. And are you getting your ownership through cash or sweat? I'll get it through sweat. I mean, you, it's, it's a lot of sweat. So 
the ownership style, you know, for all of you that are familiar with commercial real estate, you usually see a 70-30 split in ownership between the LPs and GP side. In golf courses, it's really tough to do that because of the sweat and the risk that we take on. As far as insurance, the liquor license, Illinois is very, very strenuous on their alcohol regulation. So you, we take on all that risk and our limited partner investors don't take any of that. So for that added risk that's on us, we also do all the footwork, all the legwork and, and getting the structure set up. So we take the 51% majority ownership of the deal. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, and so what were you doing before you moved into the commercial real estate stuff? Yeah, so I, I've i worked for two prop tech companies. I, wor- I worked for Zillow. Uh, I was in, involved in their acquisition department in the Tampa and Orlando area. But before that, I really was working. I worked in manufacturing in the Greensboro, Winston-Salem area for four or five years up there in your neck of the woods. And then I, when I was finishing college, I just took the leap of faith and moved to Dallas, Texas. I was a finance major. So I had a wife and a baby. And I said, you know, I'm not in the position to be taking an internship on. So I needed something to provide me some income. I needed experience while I was in college. Well, at the time, I was not having any success finding any way to have that work in my favor in the Greensboro market. So I moved to Dallas, Texas, where I got a job opportunity working in a bank. Great experience, not the most money, but learned a ton. And I, I wanted to go get my MBA and focus in healthcare. So I went to work for Baylor University. I was going to provide them equity university in exchange for my education. After about a year there, I started learning that the value of it really wasn't what it was all made out to be at the level of my career that I was. So that's when I really dove into real estate as a whole and then specifically commercial real estate about a year after that. So I've been a little all over, as you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to be willing to try stuff. And the question that really came to my mind immediately is how much courage did it take for you to say, hey, I'm not climbing the right ladder with the NBA? Because a lot of people feel like I got to stamp this card so that I can get through this or get through that. And they don't take action or feel like they're qualified. So they don't do. But it seems like that hasn't been a concern for you. You know, it and to be 100% transparent, Jerome, a, a lot of it is just the blessing of the, the position that I was in. So when I was with Baylor, I was in enrollment services. So I saw the debt that a lot of these students would take on. I would see it on their 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 bills. And when you're looking at, you know, MBAs that already have 200, 300 grand in debt, it really starts opening your eyes to, you know, where where's the value in that? Where is the, you know, how long do I have to work for somebody to go break even? You know, how, what do I have to do to even just get to a point to where this is manageable again? And at the point in my life, I wasn't in a C level position. I wasn't in a a BP level position where you might get some help on that. You might get some, you know, some tuition assistance to go back and get your MBA, or you might be promised something when you get back out. Not that promises always hold true, but there'd be incentive there, but I didn't have that. So it was really a a pretty quick decision that this was not going to be the best path for me to success at the current state that I was in. So does it take a lot of courage? Absolutely. You have to be willing to be told no. You have to be willing to be able to to accept that, you know, the path that you're on might not be the right path for you. And that's, it's just jumping right in and understanding that and being open to change is really what I've been good at. Yeah, that openness to change is the thing that I think holds most people back and puts them in a prison. What I, yeah. what I hear you saying is you didn't see a return on investment that was commensurate with the amount of debt you'd have to take on 
in yeah. order to get that certification. Is that fair? So it is fair because, well, to a degree. So I, as I mentioned before, I went and worked for the university. So I wasn't going to have to go into that much debt. But it also, you have an opportunity cost factor. So where I'm not going into that debt, I'm also going to be in school for a lot longer than your, your full-time student. So I was going to be there about seven years to get an MBA. Well, by that time, I'd be 36 years old and starting out with an MBA with very little MBA level experience. So it's the opportunity cost. Like I could go start a commercial real estate investment company, use it as a ministry, get deals done and earn far above what an MBA would get me in a shorter amount of time. And I'd make lasting relationships that could continue to, to breed success. And so what are some of the challenges that you face on this journey? Maybe you got two or three of them you could share with the audience. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges that you, you face and everyone faces this, no matter what you see on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, is you get told no a lot. You get told no a lot. And that's one thing that I was talking with our friend Kelly Cardenas about was that, you know, I've, I've learned to be able to accept no as an answer, not as an emotion. I think we have a bad habit of that in the world today. We see yes as an affirmation and no as an emotion. And I've just learned to, to overcome the challenge of using no as an emotion. I've also, money is always a challenge. Like, you know, I, I started basically my career towards success with a wife and a brand new baby. Like I was in college with a I literally started my degree two months after my daughter was born. So I was a full-time 60-hour-a-week worker in a manufacturing plant, working school work at night, and I was on the club golf team. I I mean, I just had a lot going on, and I was also a full-time husband and dad. So it's really the challenge of making sure that when you prioritize something, you prioritize a lot of time for it. That was always a challenge to overcome. And then really, it's just... What do you do? It's, it's overcoming the challenge when you realize that majority of life is stacked up against you. Having the mental capacity to not say I have to go do something, but that I get to go do something. Look at the gratitude side of what you're able to go do. Eliminate the word can't from your vocabulary because can't is an abilitative word. That was always a mental challenge for me was to, to just overcome the, the art of perseverance, I guess, is really just pushing forward on boundaries that really don't want to see your success. So being told no a lot, that was one of the challenges. Do you, yeah. Did they, people explain why they were telling you no, or they were just saying no and slamming the door? Uh, I mean, a fair amount told me no and gave me reasons for it. I mean, in, in the real estate world, you get told no, or, you know, just that your deal wasn't the highest, the best. You know, when I got denied from the Navy, I just was told no. I wasn't really given a reason for it. And I worked really hard for that. But I had to just accept it for what it was, you know, so I think it's about 50 50. And I just think that part of that is being able to accept that you won't always get an apology when you're done wrong. You won't always get a reason for why you're told no or why you're denied something. You just have to accept that that's what it is. And the, the faster you move on and the faster you accept that that's just an answer, the, fa- the, the quicker your road to success when you get told yes. So when did you realize you had to keep going? Because I think we all get to this point where we start questioning whether or not we're doing the right thing. Right. And you seem pretty set on this is what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I've endured the nose. Yep. I think, Jerome, honestly, it has nothing to do with real estate. When I, when I got denied from the Navy, I put eight months of hard work, sweat, blood, and tears into that journey to get my body in the position that it, I needed to be in. And to go to the recruiter's office and be told no in less than five seconds after that, you have no choice 
but to pick up because you could sit there and sulk in it, but the answer is not going to change that you still have a future ahead of you. So I talked to my wife, we prayed, I cried for a day. I mean, I was just in anguish for a day. And then I said, I'm going to school. I'm going to finish my degree and I'm, I'm going. So I literally packed up, got in the car and drove to Lynchburg and enrolled in school that very next day. I don't even remember like the day. I just, it was a blur to me. I just said, I'm going to do it. We did it. That was it. And that kind of set the tone for the future. Like I'm not going to sit in in decisions, whether they're yeses or no's. Like if it's a yes, we just keep moving. You know, you got to keep going. And if it's a no, you have to keep moving um, and just pivot. That's what you have to do. What's been your worst fear in the process? Probably, that's a good question. I think my worst fear is probably be going too far to where I can't go back. You know, if like, you know, you get into like a real estate deal, for example, and you underwrite it and it looks perfect to you, it looks great. And then market conditions change, but you've gone too far to be able to just jump out of it. You're already committed. That 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 is something that used to scare me and would probably keep me in motion, but not take action. Um, but I look at other examples of that in my life. And I realized that, you know, there were a lot of things that held me back from that fear of getting too far in over my head to not commit to it. Whether it was, you know, a girl that I liked in high school, or I I was afraid to, you know, go try out for something, but because it was weird or, or none of the kids in my school wanted to do it. It was just something that I would just get so afraid that if I got too far into it, I couldn't get myself back out of it. That used to hold me back a lot. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, a.k.a. the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So, was there a point when everything was on the line, Tony? Was there a rock bottom for you? Yeah, I mean, a couple times. I mean, like, just what I just alluded to. So, I'll, I'll go back to kind of tell my story about the Navy. When I lived in Greensboro, I was about 360 pounds. I mean, a rather large individual and just unhealthy. I mean, I was eating, I would walk the golf course. I would, you know, I could walk, I've been playing golf since I was nine. I could walk a golf course at 360 pounds, be in great shape, but I would probably go eat 14,000 calories after that. Like, I mean, I would just eat a ton of like horrible food. Yeah, horrible. And it was just causing me a lot of depression and my income and where my life was, which just caused me a lot of anxiety, depression. So my father-in-law, he was in the military. He told me, he said, you know, you're 25 years old. Why don't you try to join the Navy? Or you're 26, try to join the Navy, see what happens. And I said, you know, I need a change in my life anyway. I make a minimum wage and, you know, I have bigger dreams than this. So I just went for it. And I literally changed everything about my life. I changed what I ate. I didn't eat a carb for a month. I ran every day, no matter what the weather, the climate, nothing. And in Greensboro, you know, it gets hot. So I ran in 110 degrees. I ran three miles. It was one one year I was up there while I was doing it. It snowed. It snowed like six inches. I went and ran in the snow. I mean, literally in any condition, I ran in it. I lost 180 pounds in eight months. And all to get told no, you feel like you have hit rock bottom. Like you feel like your life for that one split second, it's just over. Like there's nothing you can do because the, what you just worked the hardest for was a no. And at that point, 
I felt like I don't know what I what I want to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just like an emotional person, just crying, eating the gallon of ice cream and feeling bad for myself. But, you know, that was rock bottom for me. That was it. And my wife was huge in that time. She said, well, you know, you need to take a day and sulk in it. You have to have your time to grieve that, you know, a little bit after all that work. But then you got to get up. And that that was how I did it was I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get up and go push forward. I wanted to just sit. That's all I wanted to do. But, you know, just knowing that you're not going to be successful and no one's going to feel bad for you if you don't get up and go. No one's going to feel sorry for you. So you have to get up and just keep going and pressing forward. Yeah, that, that I, would, I would say that was rock bottom, brother. I mean, it was rough. That's crazy. So let's talk about health because that's a lot of weight in such a short amount of time. Yeah. How, how'd you figure out what your diet would be? How'd you figure out your exercise routine? And then, I mean, you certainly aren't 360 again. So how'd you make sure that you didn't go back to where you were? Because most people um, lose weight instead of getting rid of it. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. I've, I've kind of let myself go a little bit. I, I have to become more disciplined in that. But what I did was I just, I started buying literally 10 grocery items at the store every week. That was all I ate. So I would eat like salad, broccoli, chicken, and like whole or uh, natural peanut butter. None of the jip or anything like that. And that was it. And I just learned to love coffee. So I would literally meal prep myself for a week and I wouldn't have anything else in the fridge for myself. So I would almost not give myself options. So I had to lose weight on what I ate. So I would eat apples, eggs, chicken, leafy greens, broccoli, and a scoop of peanut butter and coffee and a bunch of water. That's it. And I did that for nearly eight months. And then I went one month where I hit like a plateau. So I just decided on like the 1st of September, the hottest month of the year in Greensboro, I, I wouldn't eat a carb for 30 days. So I literally ate nothing but chicken and some ground bison, some turkey and water and coffee for 30 days. And I was the most miserable person in the world to my wife. Yeah, I was because carbs, they're a mood balancer. You ever notice like when you, when you eat like a sandwich or some pizza, you feel better mentally for a little bit. Like it, it, it balances out your mood. Well, I was an angry cuss for a month because I didn't have a carb. And it was it was not fun. But I lost, I think I lost 20 pounds that month. The first month I lost 43 pounds. Very first month. Were you yeah. like hungry though? Because if you go oh, from yeah. 14,000 calories oh, yeah. to... Oh yeah, I was starving. There were many nights I went to bed hungry. I would just drink water, try to dilute it down with coffee. I even got sick one time. I even like was literally sick because my body could not take it anymore. I mean, it definitely what I did was not the healthiest option. Know that. But I would just, I put myself on a goal and the only way I was going to achieve that goal was the, the simple routine that I did every single day. That, that's how I did it. So I got, I got really sick one day. My wife said, you've got to eat, you've got to eat. So we went to, and, and I was plateauing. Like I, 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 I was just anxious and all this. So she said, I'm taking you to Mexican. So we went on battleground to blue agave over there by friendly center. You know what I'm talking about? And I threw down three baskets of chips. I think six tacos, a bowl of refried beans and some dessert, I think. And I lost 10 pounds the next morning. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that it, works. It, it's, it, you know, anyone who says that they have the answer really doesn't have the answer. I mean, we, we know kind of generally what you should and shouldn't eat. Like I would not recommend eating a bunch of snicker bars and stuff like that. I mean, obviously leafy greens are better for you, but sometimes you just got to use the reverse psychology method to get where you want to go. 
And that was proof to me that it, it worked. I lost 10 pounds overnight by doing that. So what's been the reward for going on this arduous journey? You made a bunch of pivots. Yep. You've made lifestyle changes. Hopefully you're not yeah. still grumpy. Hopefully you're eating no, carbs no, no. now. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll throw it down on some pizza, man. Oh yeah. You know, the biggest reward, honestly, is is the ability to have an impact on people. You know, I, I was I got the blessing the other day. A twenty year old in college wanted to just talk to me about, you know, where he should he has a passion for real estate. He's the, deciding whether to go into acquisition through the brokerage side. He wants to be an investor. But he he called me because of something I posted that resonated with him. Well, something I said resonated with him. He wanted to just talk to me to see like what I would recommend for his future. And and that probably is the biggest victory for me. Just being able to to speak into people and to provide impact on people, whether it be monetarily or, you know, from advice or whatnot. You know, all I care about in this life is people. I care about not just their success financially, but I care about their families. I care about their, their spouses and their, their livelihoods and their, the things they care about. You know, that, that's where I find the biggest success in, in all of this and seeing people be able to live the life that brings them joy. So some people get tripped up on this question, but I think you'll have a good answer for me. Were there any things that try to pull you back into your old lifestyle? Because, you know, you made oh, yeah. some pretty dramatic changes. Oh yeah. All you gotta do is get in your car and drive down the street. You'll see big red signs and blue signs. And I mean, they all have nice greasy McDonald's all over them and pizza. And I mean, you can, you can sit down on the TV and lope over some sports for 15 hours if you want to. I mean, it's, it's really just the world is, is built from a marketing standpoint so that you feed into this and you, you, you sow into the world. And with where I've seen folks like yourself, Jerome and Kelly Cardenas and so many other great people is you haven't let that dictate you. You haven't let that, you, you haven't let the world pull you into where you sow into it. You've built this life to where the world or the world sows into you. And that is, that is what I have tried to keep mentally. Like I'm going, I want to make this to where life is on my terms for the glory of God, not to where I'm getting told by a sign to come buy a hamburger. Or I'm getting told by an ad agency, hey, come spend, you know, this so much money on your marketing because we have the answer to end all be all. It's really making sound decisions and, and being disciplined in my mental thoughts to, to how I kind of progress forward. I like that because I think so many people miss out on the fact that we're in a space where we get programmed and it's all yeah. to further their mission or their cause, the, them being the programmers. Yeah, absolutely. What's the biggest difference in your approach to life today versus call it five or 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, five or 10 years ago, I lived for the dollar on Friday. I would get paid every Friday and it'd be gone by Sunday. I mean, it was just, I lived, I lived, everything was about money back then. Everything was just about like, how can I make the next dollar? And now it goes back to what I just said a few minutes ago. Now, every investor I talk to, every person I talk to, whether it be insurance, lenders or whatnot, I tell them, like, I care about you. I care about, you know, the quality of life that you live. You know, what is important to you? What's important to your wife? Like, I think about, you know, you take example, like on any of our deals, man, like it's 50000 to get into a lot of these. That 50000 is, is a lot of money. I don't care who, how much money you make, 50000 is a lot of money. Well, there's there's a spouse on the other end of that. There's a There's kids on the other end of that. And I care about them. I care about, you know, what, how is this going to benefit you? And how is this going to 
hurt you? You know, what, what is the best thing for you? And making an impact on people is where I've really changed a lot is, is that I want to see people thrive. I want to see people live out their best so that they can give and be a blessing to others. Being a blessing to others. That's come up about five times during this episode. Yeah. Really clear. Yeah. It's a, it's a passion of mine, man. I just, as the older I've gotten, I've started seeing that everything that has been behind me, a lot of the worries that I had, a lot of the the goals that I had, or, or even the short-term focuses, they really weren't worth it. But, you know, pouring into other people through real estate, through different endeavors that we do, it has the lasting impact. Tony, what are you most grateful for? Oh, my salvation, number one. Number two, I would, I would say my wife, obviously. Sorry for the hesitation. I didn't mean to have that hesitation in there. Um, I'm, I'm most grateful just for the, 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 you know, the people that are in my life and you know, the, how, generally speaking, if you live and have a selfless attitude, people will have it back to you. And I'm grateful just for the opportunities that I get to have. You know, there, there's millions of people out there that never, never learn anything about real estate or business or the opportunities that we see. So to be able to, to get to do what we do, it's pretty amazing. Your faith. So was there a pivot point or is this something that you've been into since you were small? Uh, so I came from a broken home when I was younger. I never slept in the same bed twice in a row. I mean, I would go back and forth between houses. So I kind of, when I was younger, I went to church pretty much as just an escape route. Then I started seeing people really care about me in church and the people would sow into me and pour into me. And then when I was living in Greensboro, I started attending a church in the, the Danville, Virginia area, smaller church, but they had a mission project there with Compassion International. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they are a mission that's based out of Colorado and their entire working is to release children from poverty, both globally and domestically. So I went through a Compassion, like a workshop that they had at our church and I started seeing like all these kids the pictures and their stories from third world nations like Guatemala and Haiti, like you know, Bolivia, like these just third world nations or, or might even be first world. They just don't have a lot of resources there. And I just sat there reading, like just reading the stories of these kids. And I started making friends and connections with people that work for compassion. And there's many other organizations out there that do the, the same thing. They just might not be as, as well known in the space, but I just started doing my research and I started seeing that there's a real opportunity here. And then I obviously went to a Christian university. So I had my faith poured into me a lot. And then I just started spending time with God and, and getting around people that are believers. And God has really blessed me and spared me a lot of the tragedies that a lot of kids that grow up in my situation where you come from a broken home, he spared me a lot from that. Um, and it, it's just been something that has been the most important to me. And that's just grown over probably the last 15 years or so. Love it. I'm always curious about those journeys. Tony, what dream yeah. are you most focused on catching next? Mm. Does it have to be real estate or can it be anything? Anything. My dream is to play Augusta National. Like that, it's, it's like that is, I believe in what you're saying is like where you're, your mantra is that your dreams should be real. As a passionate golfer, golf has always been really important to me. Playing Augusta National has always been something, being from the Southeast, that that really has been something that I've had on my to-do list. I don't have a bucket list. I have a to-do list. But that is one that is, is quite the stretch. So that's always been something focused of mine. 
other than that, it's really just building the business that we have, staying true to my, what my statement of faith is within the business and trying to have an impact to make other people's dreams come true. Well, you're not trying, brother. You were making it happen. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. I appreciate it. So the final question, and it's always the final question is what do you, what's the one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode? I would say to never limit yourself, standing firm in what you, you believe and going back to what I said, eliminate the word can't from your life, like eliminate it. I tell people this all the time. Can't is an habilitative word. So if it's habilitative, that you wouldn't have the ability to do what it is that you want to do. So can't is, is basically eliminating your ability. You can do anything that you, you want. And whether it be real estate, building a business, being, you know, a corporate exec, anything that you want, you can do it. You just have to want to and believe in yourself. And if there's one thing that I would say to anybody is that I believe that you can do it. I believe that you will do it if you want to do it. And it's just to be an encouragement to you. That's, that's what I would like to give people. Love it. You heard it from Tony. Stop saying you can't eliminate it. I think it should be banned from the dictionary. But, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, to the listeners, tell the next time your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>